Okay, everyone, um, I will call this meeting to order. Start with the roll call. McConnell? Here. McDaniels? We're given advance notice that McDaniels was not going to be present. Um, Nichols? Here. <coughs> Townsend? Here. I'm going to move um, for the consent calendar to be adopted as presented. Can I get a second? Second. Seconded by McConnell, moved by Selmer. <clears throat> Let's have a board discussion. Uh, this is the time for the board to discuss only the items on the consent calendar. Um, the meeting minutes can be adopted or presented as amended. Um, general orders are adopted and as presented only and cannot be amended by CPRB. So um, anybody have any comments on the minutes or minutes of the community forum meeting, minutes of the meeting from before, um, or the force review report? Okay, if none, we'll go to step three, which is public discussion. We'll ask the public if they have any comment or questions regarding the consent calendar. Uh, you can please raise your hand, use the raise your hand button if you're on Zoom, you'd like to be called on. If you've called in, you can press star nine. We'd ask the comments be limited to three to five minutes. A minute here for the public to chime in. I have no one. No hands. Is there anyone? Um, from the public that is in the meeting right now? Oh, yes, there is. Just no hands raised. Okay. No hands raised. All right. Thank you. Oh, uh, never mind. Okay. All those no, in favor wait. of adopting the consent right. calendar is presented. David. Yep, you have one. Sorry. Okay. I do. No <laughs> Although now they just, <laughs> never mind. They took their hand down. <laughs> well, have, um, this is just for the consent calendar. Um, so there might be another time for them to raise their hand. All those in favor of adopting the consent calendar as presented, say aye. 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 All those opposed, the ayes have it. <clears throat> Item number three, new business. You're only supposed to be discussing the items that are listed here. Um, first one is General Order, Iowa City Police Department 01-01, Biased-Based Policing. Um, Amanda, you asked um, to have this added to our new business for further discussion. Uh, you have drafted a recommendation letter. I will first turn it over to you to kind of um, present this and then we can talk about it as a group. Okay. Um, essentially just trying to, through policy, illustrate a refocusing on the police department existing for public safety and making it so that rather than spending resources and time trying to proactively prevent any crimes, they are responding and interacting with the public only in response to calls for help or public safety risks. Does anybody want to comment on um, some of their proposals? They are in our meeting packet. Hopefully you've had a chance to review them. Um, they are highlighted in green, the changes are, and then um, 
she has the uh, the draft letter as well there. Um, I guess I will start with commenting. Um, I, I'll say I, I like the, I thought more about it after, after we discussed and I like the emphasis on, on uh, getting back towards public safety. Like you said, that's my personal opinion on it too. I feel like um, we might be able to really use this general order, like you said, to try and, um, and direct where we think the community's voice is, is steering towards. Um, that said, I think that uh, we also have a lot of, uh, we're, we're, we have to remember a little bit that there is you know, decades upon decades of constitutional law on this that have gone through with intense professionals kind of delineating the bright line for police officers and, and where they can act and where they shouldn't act. And um, that's a tough line to draw. You know, it's, it's hard to articulate that and it's hard to get all the circumstances when we all know that no two circumstances look the same to, to officers and to the community members um, out there. Uh, nobody's gonna have the same re reaction either way. And I, I'm a little concerned that, you know, if we start to try to draw the line um, where I'm looking at some of these um, presented changes where crimes that present public safety risks. If we try to redraw that line with ambiguity, that it, it's going to lead to um, lead to a lot of, of confusion and a lot of um, of issues that will arrive both and also I think just of inaction or action and what's proper. I wouldn't know, you know, what what necessarily qualifies as a public safety risk. Um, for a crime, you know, is, is someone using drugs in public or carrying drugs in public, is that a public safety risk? Or is that someone that's just, you know, a, um, a nonviolent offender and we need to focus on violent crimes? I, so I, I get a little concerned over the ambiguity that's in here. I think it's a nice, a nice start, but I think we have to be careful about um, those type of, of generalizations, especially because, like I said, I in the last meeting, all of this language that this policy walks is walking exactly in line with the constitutional um, lines that have been drawn by the courts over and over again. Um, and I realize we can try to go beyond that, um, but I just, I get concerned about some of that, that issue there. So that's, that's my initial impression right now. I'll turn it back over to the board. <clears throat> Orville, if you're trying to talk, you're on mute. It should be in your upper right-hand corner. And if you kind of hover over your, your screen, it will tell you. Otherwise, it's bottom left-hand corner sometimes, too. Scroll your mouse to the uh, bottom left of the um, Zoom screen. 
and it should pop up. It's probably not there right now, but if you just kind of go in that general area, it might pop up. Still can't hear you, Orville. <laughs> okay, same pass. Um, I want to respond, I guess, to the, the constitutional lines concern. Um, it is my understanding that there is discretion allowed as to whether or not to enforce laws. Um, I know that there are definitely many cities, um, states also, but also even just individual cities that have, for example, decriminalized marijuana. And they've been able to do that. And it has not been, um, they haven't had to get rid of those laws due to constitutionality issues or those policies. So, okay, so if I understand your point, you're basically saying that you can, we can go beyond what the Constitution is saying are, you know, the minimum amount of, of um, the, the bright lines that the, that the court has drawn, you can change those lines, if I understand that right. And yes. I agree with that. You, we can, we can be more proactive. Um, we can restrict, we can try to restrict police activity. You just have to say... Mm -hmm ask you to unmute. I want to see if you can talk. Go. Thank you, Mrs. Thompson. You can hear me, I take it. <laughs> you can, yes. Okay. It's going to cost me an arm and a leg, uh, you know. <laughs> the good, the good no. news is you're only being broadcast on TV and being recorded. Or we'll oh, no. <laughs> I never live it down. Yeah, but what, what I was saying is I I agree with, you know, what Amanda's saying and, you know, she's got some good ideas. Some of it, I have concerns about it, but my approach is that I think this is a team effort, you know, and we have our concerns and feelings, but I, I think it would just be adequate to just run it by the police chief and let him tell us, you know, if what we are trying to put in place is going to create some negativity for our police officers. Okay, Chief, we'll turn it over to you. Um, I share some of the similar concerns that uh, David shares. I think there would be some legal and possibly some liability issues. Um, and I also think that there's some legislation that's on the governor's desk that could prohibit policies like these from being enacted. The Back the Blue has specific a specific section that talks about policies that uh, prohibit officers from enforcing laws that are on the book. So that's something that would have to be looked at by legal if uh, if, if you guys put this forward. And again, just so we're all clear, this is a recommendation. Um, that's all that we can do is is submit this, and you know we we can send it up and um, present it to the city council for discussion or chief of police for implementation but it's just recommendation um i i think i think amanda we share the the general notions on this i think it's a good spot that we need to look into um 
my my concern about it is that it again it's it's written in a way that um and it's kind of tough because it's a general order it's not meant to be necessarily to replace all of the constitutional laws or laws that are in the the book and to to um and to you know decide where an officer should act or not act with regards to every particular crime and yet the changes that we're proposing directly implicate you know several you know a, a book full of, of potential crimes and whether or not an officer can act in there and so for that i feel like we need an incredible amount of specificity as far as what would be considered what wouldn't be considered and um i'm wondering if we if we did this kind of approach if we couldn't if we couldn't scale it back a little bit and say you know with an eye towards um towards a goal where the the police presence should be one that is geared towards public safety one that is um focusing only on dangerous crimes wherever you know wherever possible where we might be able to say where we'd like in that area we we would like the officers where they best could to you exercise their discretion um enforcing you know these, these policies with with that kind of goal in mind if we couldn't if we couldn't take it back one step and not draw such a bright line for the officers right here redraw that line but also say that we <coughs> like we'd like some of that to be the, the more the focus but not say that that's just where it's going to be that they can only um only act where it's for example dangerous um or only act where it's a question of public safety because uh i i personally am thinking you know just some random examples that come to mind um if somebody's vandalizing my car or somebody is you know trespassing in my house or something you know and i'm not there i still want the police to be there i'm not calling them i'm not there i don't know about it i still want somebody to if my if my front door is open in the middle of the night and somebody's walking out with with my television and my bicycle, uh, I want them. I haven't asked for them to be there, but I want them to be there, um, and I want them to start looking for that crime. And it's not really a public safety thing. So, um, I I just wonder if there's not another avenue to be creative, so that we can again. And I don't want to just pay lip service. I know what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't want to. I don't think we're in a position to, to go out and identify every single um law that no longer is one that that they should be trying to enforce on their own or look for suspicion of and act um so that's that's where i come on right now um if i'll give you a chance to rebut or or, or give your thoughts um yeah i would actually like to respond to that so in my mind in the kind of scenario that you're describing um you know someone coming into your house and walking out with stuff in the middle of the night i find it unlikely that that would be something that an officer would just stumble on. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, if that, if that does happen often. Um, but I feel like that would be something more like where a neighbor would see something suspicious and a neighbor would call in. And then at that point, it would become a call for assistance, a request for assistance, which is also listed in the policy as a reason for a police presence and for police intervention. Um, 
I feel like really once we start getting to what looks suspicious to an officer um, when there's been no indication of an actual public safety risk and there's been nobody who lives in the area and knows what goes on and has considered something suspicious, we get to situations like the man um, who recently won a court case after um, being told to cross the street in front of the officers and then stopped because they thought he looked suspicious because he had something in his pocket and the, what they thought the shape of it was. That kind of scenario happens when we completely leave it up to officers to decide what they think does and does not look suspicious. Implicit bias comes into effect. And then we end up in situations that create harm where there was no harm to begin with. I think that if the officers left to decide whether a hand in the pocket might just be a hand or a gun would be public safety issue and also um, issue of safety for the person <coughs> and the citizen. Yeah, and, and I think uh, consistency plays an important role in it too because I've seen situations in the past where like in the mall, you know, kids are gonna be kids. It's like you've got, you know, today you've got, uh, you know, uh, white students down just raising cane. They're just doing what kids do. The policeman in the mall doesn't pay it any attention. But three days later, you've got the black students doing the same thing. And now all of a sudden the officer begins to follow them around and there's a strong chance that one of them will eventually do something that that officer can stop them and inquire about. But my thing about it is, if we have consistency, you know, I, I would ask that, that officer the question, why is it you didn't follow the white students, you know, because they were doing the same thing, you know, but you follow the black students. So it, it's sort of like a profiling type thing. And I think basically, uh, you know, we have individuals that have bias, and unfortunately, sometimes they become police officers. That's exactly why I want it to be specific in the policy. Yeah, I, I like the part about, you know, it, it's not really, it's, it's impliedly in there, implicitly in there, but it's not expressly in there. Um, and this is on your parts of the the definitions and reasonable suspicion. Um, I, I'm, I'm in favor of that, the reasonable suspicion addition. I guess where, where my concern is, is under the policy that instead of telling the police department to patrol in a proactive manner, to investigate suspicious persons and circumstances and to actively enforce the laws all, while insisting that members of the public will only be detained where there exists reasonable suspicion to believe they have committed, are committing, or are about to commit an infraction of the law, or there is a valid articulable reason for contact. <clears throat> We're replacing all of that and just going right into it is the policy of the Iowa City Police Department to interfere with members of the public only when assistance is number one requested or two when there is an articulable 
and, and an imminent risk to public safety. And so I, I just feel like that draws, that the pendulum swings way too far uh, on that. I think that's way too broad of a paintbrush. And I, I guess I would just disagree with the idea that the officers, are, that the officers are not able to, um, to see crime and to observe crime when they're out there and, and you know, have a presence. And I think <laughs> people know that this is the policy and that the officer's not going to not going to um, enforce anything unless it's an imminent public safety threat and that's the policy that we put in place. This is gonna be uh, a, a place that I'm not gonna, um, you know, I, I think it's gonna be very much like it worse than an Amsterdam, you know, where it's gonna be, things are gonna be flaunted in your face and, and there's gonna be a lot more going on and the officer just gonna stand back. That's that's how I feel that the, the, the broad brush is, is going. And so I just want to say, I think there is room for uh, some more guidance in the policy where we can say we want a focus on these things and we want to acknowledge that there is um, a, some type of inherent bias and racial, um, racial bias and trends, implicit bias. Absolutely, I think we can put that stuff in there and we can say, let's have a focus towards public safety, towards imminent threat and a, and a shift away from um, what would be, we would consider more you know, harmless or less harmful type public intoxication, um, those type of things, um, those type of crimes. I think we can, we can emphasize that as a policy procedure, but I don't think as it's written right now, I'm, I know I'm not comfortable with limiting the police officer with such a broad stroke and, and what the consequences and the follow-ups would be. So I'll, I'll turn it back to you. I hear what you're saying. Um, I appreciate that you seem to understand what I'm trying to do by proposing this um, and that you're on board with the overall concept of it. Um, I do want to respond you know, to your concerns about public reaction and response to the policy change. I don't think that that's what the evidence shows. I think that the evidence um, that exists from a lot of different bodies of research shows that punitive systems <coughs> are the way to decrease drug use. Punitive systems are not the way to decrease sex work. Um, and so I think that if we take some of those resources that we're putting into patrolling those types of crimes and put them towards programs that are evidence-based that do not involve the police, there's a lot of research to show that those things will actually decrease in our community. The problems associated with those things in particular at least will decrease within our community. Yeah, David, um, is it possible that we can take the approach, I mean, we as a, a committee, we're coming up with, you know, recommendations that we feel, and all of our recommendations we're making because we want to, number one, we want to, um, you know, benefit the public, public, but at the same time, improve our police department. Is it possible that we can submit these recommendations and then leave it up to the police chief and the city council and the attorney, uh, city attorney to, you know, come to what's a possible and what is not. 
that's what the procedure is. That's all we can do is make recommendations and then they we can make the decisions and on all of those things that you suggested. So it's yeah, I, I have some, I, you know, I'm hearing some things that, you know, Amanda's saying that I don't agree with, but then it's like, she has her opinion, I have my opinion. And I hate to see us shooting each other down. So, you know, I, I would feel more comfortable just taking it and us passing it on to the forces above and seeing what happens. Well, I mean, yeah, we all have our, our different opinions and this is why we discuss them right now and come to some type of resolution on what we want to as a group present. And I don't wanna be shooting people down, but at the same time we are, we're discussing a, a, a policy that, you know, is, is a pretty large monumental change here with some consequences that we are saying we want. And I don't know if, well, I'll tell you, I'm not comfortable in presenting this in its present form. And, you know, I, I would like to see some changes and that's what we're discussing right now. I, I'm not trying to just shoot things down and say, not, you know, not gonna happen. You might all might disagree with me and you all might want to present it in its current form. We haven't really voted on that yet. That's gonna be coming up. Um, I just, I, I just wanna say, I don't think it, I'm, again, I'm not comfortable for the reasons that I stated. I don't mind putting I, I would, I think we're on the right track with some of the notions we're trying to get across. Directly to Amanda's point on, we'd like to take some of the resources from the police department and take them away from the punitive side and investigating the punitive side of these things. I think we could, <laughs> we could focus on, on those as a notion saying we would like that to be the focus of the police department. I also think that there's other programs that we've implemented um, that we haven't even had given a chance to go into effect right now. I also think historically speaking, the police department is moving as far away from that or farther away from, from that type of enforcement right now as the, as the arrests and things coming through are, are, are coming in. Public intoxication is the arrests are way down. We now have some of these uh, avenues for them to put them in, not in the punitive system um, and where to hand them off to. You know, that is different than telling the police department in this policy that they are not allowed to act unless they're requested to act or unless there is an imminent public safety threat. And so everybody's clear imminent means, you know, it's happening right now. It has to stop right now, not even in a future type of thing. It, it is going on in front of them pretty much. It's something that they're witnessing. And I just think that pendulum is has swung way too far here and that's what we're suggesting on the policy change right now that you we are might might want to move up i think we can do better i think we can either you know come in and say more specifically you know we do not want police officers making arrests for minor drug offenses if that's what you're trying to get to then let's put that in there and, and put that one out if that's the one, you know, you don't want minor drug offenses for marijuana. And then we can all talk about that. If you want to say, um, you know, I, we don't want, uh, we don't want a, a, anything that is, you know, if you want to put something in there that is saying it's these, these several laws that we can, we can not enforce, that's fine. If you want to put something in there to me that says, 
we, we want our, our focus. You know, we understand that these are going to happen. We understand that there's some kind of implicit bias, but we want our focus at the police department wherever possible to be on only dangerous, not only, but dangerous um, crimes, um, imminent threats, you know, and to try to exercise discretion towards, you know, using judgment to not put them into the punitive system, but to start to employ some of these other programs that we now have on coming on board and coming online. Great. I'm for that type of, of policy change. I just don't think that this, this gets us there and it's only draft one. So that's, that's my opinion on it right now. Yeah. And, and my set, go ahead. I have unfortunately learned that GuideLink is not as safe of a place for everybody as I had told you. Um, it is a not, not a safe place for people who use and possess drugs, um, whether they go there voluntarily or are taken there, the um, police will be called if they have drugs on them. Um, I just really wish that we had somewhere that was safe for people to go regardless. Yeah. Um, so that's been disappointing. That's just a side note that was connected to some of the things that you just said, but. Yeah, and, and I think there, there, there are things involved here that we all have feelings about. For example, uh, I have a problem, you know, we're talking about averting funds. You know, we, are, we have a police department that right now is, um, you know, not funded to the level that it needs to to function like we expect it to, but that's, that's a national problem. Um, you know, and I guess the thing is the law or the people breaking the law, you know, I mean, right is right, wrong's wrong. When it comes to drugs, there's a clear guideline out there. There's a reason where someone needs drugs in special circumstances. I think in our society or even in our, our city, you know, that's probably something that will address that. But, you know, I, I you know, I'm kind of with both sides. Amanda's got some goodies and David's got some goodies. But, you know, the question is, what can we agree upon that's going to go to the city council? I, I again, want to respond there again, Orville, to the, um, you know, the drug comment. Um, if you believe that drug use is wrong and you want drug use to be reduced, you need to look at what is evidence-based. And the evidence shows that the punitive system is not the way to reduce drug use. So if the police officers are no longer dealing with those types of issues, that is less resources that they are using. And that's why those resources would go to whoever is dealing with those issues in a way that has actually been shown to help. I don't know, as a therapist, I've had to deal with kids coming in with, with drugs who are very volatile. Um, you don't know which way they're going to go. You can try to talk them down, but basically some people need to be in restraint to get them to a safe place. Please. And I, I just think that's why there has to be some discretion involved. Yeah. And I guess, you know, when we were talking about 
you know, reducing services or reducing funding, you know, we, we have to be careful because there's the domino effect and we never know what's going to fall where. You know, I mean, if we do certain things, we have guarantees. Right now in our system, we have some guarantees of what we can expect. And those expectations, I would think, would be realistic. But I, I think it's just going to end up being a matter of communication. I mean, I hear what Jerry's saying, and I hear what David's saying, and I, I agree with both at some point. You know, but my thing is, you know, we we we're fortunate enough in our in in our group to have the you know the chief of police that's uh, committed enough to be with us, you know, every month. So let's involve him, you know. I mean, we want to turn it over and see how he feels it's going to affect his uh, officers and what where allowances can be made and what can be improved. Then let, let's improve the situation through communication. I don't, I don't know, was that were you asking the chief to opine on something directly there, Orville, or um, what would... <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to put the chief on the spot by dumping this on him right now and saying, give, give us a response. But what I'm saying is, we can discuss things, and obviously we're not going to agree, but we can kind of iron it out so that when we do vote on it, you know, we're taking the best that everybody has to offer and making that recommendation. And then it's gonna go to the chief and to the city council and, you know, they'll deal with it. But I, I'm, I just want them to be involved because I don't know what the circumstances are and, and what obstacles the chief is dealing with. I have no idea what impact that a decision that we might make is going to have on his staff because he's the one that that knows that right now there are probably some areas that are real thin, but he's making it work out because he's moving things around and he's doing the best with the resources that he has. You know, so all I'm saying is, you know, we have to take all this into consideration. We just can't assume that this is a perfect situation and we can just come up with things and throw it out there and, you know, make it right. It's not, it's not gonna work that way. Okay, um, right now, just keep everybody on task. We, we're talking about whether or not we want to submit the proposed revisions as a policy recommendation for the bias-based policing general order 0101, which goes to the policies as a whole. My opinion right now, again, is I, I think you could put, we would like to have uh, a focus on public safety. I think we can write right in there that um, we would like to have um, <clears throat> a statement articulating the role of implicit bias and reasonable suspicion, um, some policy statement against that justifications for justification for stops that are predicated on bias. 
I'm okay with that. I really think that's that's those are good steps that we can start to to do this. I think we can say we'd like there to be um, this other focus driven thing. I disagree in 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 going as far as telling the police officers that they cannot act unless there's either one <clears throat> a, a direct call for their re, uh, action or two some type of imminent risk to public safety and, and a dangerous one of that. I think that that wipes away their ability to enforce and exercise discretion on lots of laws that I think, you know, theft um, beyond drug use, harmful drug use, where they're using the drugs, how they're using the drugs. I mean, there, there's a lot in that that's packed into that. I also think that it, it raises the constitutionality concerns that I have and the bright line for the officers and how they're going to act and the legal bias. I think there's a lot packed into this and it's a very sweeping change with, you know, a simple paragraph Xing things out and saying only under these two conditions do we have to act. That's where I'm drawing the line here for my vote. I'm not prepared to, to send this to the chief um, just yet in its current form. Um, if it came back to me, I would, and it had those kind of changes, I think I would be very um, interested in, in reading through it again with, an eye towards that. If what we want is to tell the police officers they're not to enforce drug, <laughs> a certain drug offenses together, period, then I think that that needs to be a proposal by itself. Um, and, and we could talk about that in another day if that's all you're trying to get at with, with this. But right now in its current form, I think it goes well beyond even the, the drug use into lots of areas of the law that are being swept away as far as where the police officer can act and can't. And I'm not on board with it presently. So that's where I'm standing. Amanda, it's your proposal. I'm going to send it back over to you one more time and then we'll do a quick vote. Okay. Well, well, you know, I guess basically, you know, you know, I'm not disagreeing where you're coming from, David, but I, I think we all have expressed some concerns about the way it is now. But, you know, and I think Amanda is is aware of where we're coming from. Are we going to send it back to her for a second to present a second draft to us that address our concerns before we vote on it? That's what I'm proposing that we do. If if you guys are in agreement with that, but if Amanda wants to, or you, or Jerry wants to push this in its current form, then we have to go that route. That's not. I'm not the. It's a, it's a majority rule right now. There's four of us today because Ms. Um, McConnell could not be here, but um, Amanda, I'll give it back to you to, to present well, that, it. That would be my... But that would be my recommendation. You know, I feel that, you know, if Amanda, you know, is willing to do it, that, you know, we take it and request that she come back to us with a second draft that addresses our concerns. I David, I just wanted to add how much of this is for us to say we want the police to intervene when maybe we should be working with the law, with the uh, senators, the state, you know, the senators and the representatives, because legally there's already, you know, things that the police are required to do. Um, we can work to make sure if there's an issue with any particular person, work with them to learn how better to de-escalate de and do those kinds of things. But um, 
I think some of this is is legally, like you said, constitutional, and um, that the police chief can't even just change it. It's it's legally what he's bound to do, what his officers are bound to do. Yeah, again, this is this would just be us making a policy recommendation. They would definitely go through legal before they'd implement any of this. And I think that was the chief's point earlier that there are there is legislation um, already going right now saying that you, even if we wanted to do this, we made the recommendation where the, the chief would say we can't because if this legislation goes through, we you can't limit what the police can or cannot do. But again, um, all right. So Amanda, I'm gonna hand it back to you real quick. Do you Are you hearing Orville and maybe me saying, can we tailor this more? Can we you know, get more streamlined on some things and, and kind of separate out what we, as far as the, the, the drugs issues specifically, if that's what you're going after yeah, and maybe not paint it so broad, your call. Um, it's not just that, but um, even without a formal vote, it's um, fairly obvious that I'm not gonna get it passed tonight. So, um, I mean, it's something that I really wanna see. So I'm definitely willing to do some more work on the language and bring it back. Okay, is, is that sound like something that works for everybody then? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Okay. Jerry. Yes. yes. Amanda. Yes. Okay. So I'm. I. Uh... David, you yes. you do have folks with their hands raised. If you're gonna take public comment on this. Okay. Um. We've got for discussion right now is just wrapping up. So I will. Uh, I will turn it over to public discussion. Um. If the public has any comment or questions. Um. <clears throat> They can use the, uh, again, the raise hand button or press star nine if you called in by phone. Uh, looks like we have Tara and then Stephanie. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Thank you all for the opportunity to speak. Um, and thank you for all of your work that all of you are doing. Um, I'm calling in today because I was actually so encouraged to see these suggestions being put forth. Um, I hear some individuals saying that they're not comfortable with what they're seeing. And frankly, I'm not comfortable with the damage that has been done to the relationship between the police and some of our residents. I, I feel that there's a real urgency to look at some of the work that needs to be done. And I, I don't think that you can really afford to, um, to drag your heels too much on this. What I'm seeing here is a document that um, Amanda seems to have put a lot of research into and it seems to reflect the research. Um, um, and I would even add, perhaps, um, I'm looking I, at the part under one, training. Can I interrupt you for one second? Orville, can you please put your, um, your, and Jerry, could you please put your Zooms on mute when you're not talking? It will help with the back. Sorry, Ms. McGovern, please go ahead. Thank you, and um, that does help, thank you. Um, if I could just make one more quick point. Under training, um, I was very encouraged to see officers shall re receive initial annual training. I'm sure that already happens, and I'm sure that the police chief could weigh in on that. Um, I would add to where it says officer safety, courtesy, I would add to training in neurodivergence, training in mental health, and training in 
intersectionality because we do know, of course, that there is some real concerns as to how um, really BIPOC folks with uh, mental health issues have been treated by the police in our community. So this, these are urgent issues that need to be addressed. Um, and that's all I really had to say about it. I just, I, I don't feel like I'm hearing the urgency in your discussion that I'm hearing among other residents of our community. So thank you for the opportunity to speak. And thank you, Amanda, for putting together such a good and um, hopeful document. Thank you. Those were some really good suggestions for additions to the training too. Thank you. Okay, um, Stephanie and then Mallory. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, great. Um, first of all, I'm Stephanie and um, I wanted to thank Amanda for making us aware of these changes. And um, I'm not going to weigh in on the rights of the, the board to dictate to um, the police department what is and is not a crime. But what I would like to offer is an example some years ago, not that many years ago, two, three years ago, maybe, my daughters were both dating people of color. My one daughter was dating a young um, man whose family immigrated here from Guatemala. And my other daughter was married or was um, engaged to at that time and is no longer, but uh, a young black man. And um, they were standing outside looking at, um, one of them bought a new car. And so both the kids, both the boys and my husband went outside to look at the new car. And this was very exciting for them. And all of a sudden, a police officer that drove through our neighborhood on a regular basis and never had stopped once, drove through the neighborhood slowly two or three times and then slowed down and asked my husband, is there a problem here? And my husband's from Chicago. So like, he didn't even understand like what the problem would be. He didn't understand what was going on until I, he left and I'm like, and he's like, he's like, that was the weirdest thing. He's like, and he came back again. He's like, are you sure everything is okay, sir? And I'm like, honey, it's because they were black. It's because they were Mexican and you were a white guy and they were talking to you. So the, the officer just jumped to these conclusions that there must be something wrong. So that's the kind of stuff that I felt like this kind, these kinds of recommendations like, get, I think you're way too bogged down in the, oh, what are we going to do if they have drugs? And not looking at the, nobody called the police. Nobody wanted them there. We didn't ask for their help. And all of a sudden, there were police pulling up out front of, in front of our house, hassling my daughter's boyfriends. Because why? Because of the color of their skin. And that is the sort of thing that goes on in Iowa City that has to stop. And I think if and nothing else, the thing that Amanda has added to this is in the review, I think that on an annual basis where um, DE, where she has changed may to shall, I don't understand why the uh, police department isn't already doing that. The, the school has to provide a public statistical summary of how they perform per race and ethnicity. Um, that was talked about in the school board meeting tonight is their numbers are dismal also. Why isn't the, isn't, on an annual basis, the department may make a public a statistical summary of all profiling complaints. No, that information should be available to the public. We should be able to see it, to see whether or not our police department is pulling people over disproportionately because they're people of color or pulling people over disproportionately because 
um, they're neurodivergent. We, we should have that statistical information already available to us. And I feel like we got really bogged down in this discussion on like the, oh, what are we gonna do if they have drugs and what are we not gonna do if they have drugs? When some of the things like that we're talking about are just like pulling people over just because they happen to be black or Hispanic kids talking to a white guy. I mean, let's face it, that's what's going on in Iowa City. It's not, oh, we're pulling over these kids with drugs. It's, oh, there's a white group of kids walking through the mall and there's a black group of kids walking through the mall. Who is the police officer going to follow? And those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. Those are the kinds of things that need to be addressed in this city. And they're not being addressed. And this whole thing, getting all bogged down on what we're gonna do with who ha and who, who has drugs and what, who doesn't have drugs, that doesn't even seem to me to be in the spirit of this arrangement or of this dialogue. Thank you for thank you for your comment. <clears throat> Ms. Hellman. Hi. Yes. Uh, can you hear me? We can. Please go ahead. Wonderful. All right. Um, first off, thank you so much to Amanda for taking the time and research to draft this document. And thanks to you all for uh, acknowledging it by way of this discussion and for really putting your time and energy in. Um, in reading the preamble of this document, it seems that its aim is to address the documented disparities, racial disparities, in arrests and convictions, particularly for minor and nonviolent crimes such as drug use. To the extent that that is the aim of this document, I think its language does a wonderful job. When we're looking at the idea of public safety, that's not just a measure, it's not just actions, it's a feeling. And it was implied earlier that, you know, if we were to peel back some of the things that officers can do proactively, the word proactive really struck me here. Um, if we are to peel back what officers can do proactively, there might be elements of the population who don't feel safe, I think it's worth mentioning that there are non-negligible percentages of the population who feel unsafe currently with officers proactively being able to do what they do. And regardless of where we come down on the language with um, you know, what constitutes an imminent danger or what constitutes a violent crime, it's important to realize that this disproportion comes from documented evidence again and again of that proactivity and that discretion among officers leading to racial disparities and leading to people having unwanted contact and unwarranted contact with officers when um, you know they're doing things that are nonviolent. I'm not a legal scholar, but it's my understanding that there is a difference between somebody who's actively breaking into a house and somebody who might maybe be about to use marijuana at some point. So I'd also like to, to acknowledge some of the language here about accountability that Stephanie was just talking about. Um, I do think that regardless of where you come down on this issue, the police are in a PR crisis right now. We all saw the protests last summer. We all saw the thousands of people who are gathering and demanding change. This is the public and right now, the opinion of the police is not what it could be. And I think these transparency measures of releasing the statistics 
of lowering the curtain between the police and the, the average citizen so that we can have this information and see what's going on and see the changes that are being made. And, and frankly, to continue having conversations like this, I think this is going to go a very long way to improve relations between the police and citizens. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. We've got uh, one more, David. Eleanor? Oh, and Andy. Um, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Um, my name is Eleanor Taft, and I'd like to speak in support of the proposed changes in the bias-based policing policy. Um, first, I'd like to respond briefly to a couple of items that came up tonight. Um, if there was a safe way to ask for help in a drug-related crisis without fear of arrest, my stepson might still be alive. So please don't think that the threat of arrest for drug possession doesn't cause harm. Um, second, there has been discussion of needing police to enforce non-dangerous uh, crimes um, in order to protect private property. But I have to wonder where that concern for the private property of Iowa City residents was when a homeless encampment in Iowa City was recently cleared out and those re residents' possessions were seized. Um, I live in Lone Tree currently, but spent most of my life in Iowa City where my family still lives. While I was a resident of Iowa City, I was tear gassed during the protest last summer, just a few blocks from the house I grew up in, in an area where I had always felt safe. Um, we were standing still and chanting when this happened, and I was hit with a half a dozen rounds of tear gas, forcing myself and everyone around me to remove our masks and cough all over each other in the middle of a respiratory pandemic. Um, we couldn't even direct our coughs away from each other because our eyes were burning so badly we couldn't see. Um, and luckily strangers in the crowd had brought milk, I think, I couldn't see, um, and were pouring it in our eyes to stop the burning enough to open our eyes and know which direction we were walking so we could walk away. Um, these strangers demonstrated a hell of a lot more concern for public safety than any of the police I encountered on the scene. Um, but this story is nothing compared to the overwhelmingly negative and sometimes devastating effects that racist policing has had on my friends and family of color, uh, but their stories are not mine to tell. However, I do think it's telling that my only personal experience of police violence was while standing with people of color to question these racist practices. I'm not sure who was responsible for the tear gas decision, but that experience made a lot of people who hadn't been directly involved in the protests seriously question whether police in our communities are making decisions in the interest of public safety or in the interest of repressing dissent and protecting the power and property of those who already have plenty of both. Um, I remember when a large group of mostly white students occupied the same exact stretch of highway a few years ago to protest an issue that was not related to racist police violence, and they were allowed to do so and celebrated by the community. This is a clear double standard, and if the police in our area want to earn people's trust, they're going to need to demonstrate more than lip service to change. I don't believe in good and bad people, and I'm not saying police are bad people with bad intentions or any more racist than the rest of us who all have a lot of work to do to unlearn things that our society has taught us. I notice racism in myself all the time and I'm constantly working to unlearn it. But it's exactly because the problem is greater than individuals, because it's in all of us and so pervasive in our culture and institutions that the police department has an obligation and a tremendous opportunity 
to put policies in place that stand in the way of allowing the racism that officers may have unintentionally learned to do irreversible harm to people in our communities and to work together as a department to dismantle the damage these systems of oppression have done to our own hearts. The proposed changes in the bias-based police, bias policing policy are a small step in the right direction and I hope you will support them. Thank you. Thank you, Eleanor. Mr. Thomas, go ahead. Hi, uh, I just wanted to thank Amanda for her work and especially advocating for evidence-based solutions to drug addiction because it's widely known that drug addiction is a disease and it needs to be stopped, stop being treated as a moral issue and start being treated as a public health issue. I also want to say that, yes, I know sometimes people who are addicted to drugs or people with mental health issues need to be restrained, but the police are not the ones who are right to do it. Nurses frequently have to restrain people. People who work at places like systems for people with intellectual disabilities frequently have to restrain people. And the people they restrain never end up dying because these people are trained to not kill people. And I also want to speak to uh, some talk I heard that sounded fairly defeatist about, you know, we can't change the laws. The chief of police can't change the laws. But you, you do have some power, even if it's just an ear of somebody with more power and I think we should be doing everybody with any power should be doing all they can to help with these issues because people are hurting and people are dying because of them. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I have, David. Does anybody want to respond to that after you know, public comment? I'm sorry, what was that? Does anybody want to respond or make another comments after hearing the public's comments? Well, you know, I just, from listening, obviously, you know, we've, we've got some changes that need to be made, you know, and, but just listening to what the individuals were speaking had to say, if you want to talk about profiling 101, then we would ask our officers to simply just ask them when they see individuals of color and they're getting ready to interact with them, if they would just ask themselves the question, would I react to this situation if these individuals were white? You know, and basically that, that tells a lot about the story. I mean, basically I've been in our city since 1962 and, uh, you know, we've come a ways, but we've got a ways to go. But, you know, we've got individuals coming into our city with attitudes that aren't the best. And sometimes they end up on our police force. You know, so the question is, how do we deal with that? Yeah, I've got a couple of responses I'd like to make, just as long as we're on the, the record. And one of them was commenting can be bogged down in, in what is a crime and what isn't a crime. Um, I, again, want to emphasize that I think that that is an important part of this policy change we're talking about. To begin with, bias-based policing or policing, and if you read the purpose of the order, 
It is to, quote, unequivocally state that bias-based policing by members of this department and the discharge of their duties is unacceptable. It's to provide guidelines for officers to prevent such occurrences and to protect, protect officers from unfounded accusations within the parameters of the law and the department policy. So again, this is already, so everybody's on the same page saying this is something that we recognize, that it's there, that it cannot go on and it's not allowed, period, from the department. It does go into definitions of what is reasonable suspicion. And that is where I, I think we are having some type of um, some, some issues here because it says for the procedures that the department's enforcement efforts will be directed towards assigning officers to those areas where there is the highest likelihood that vehicle crashes will be reduced, complaints effectively investigated or addressed, and our crimes prevented through proactive patrol. <coughs> Place reasonable suspicion and replace proactive patrol with saying that an officer is not to act, not to act unless <laughs> specifically, or unless it is a an imminent, or I wanna make sure I get your words right, an imminent risk to public safety, imminent risk. I just, again, wanna emphasize, I think that's painting the, the brush with too large of a stroke. That's my opinion on it. Um, I, I feel like that is too large that we're already saying that there's no bias-based policing um, allowed. We're gonna go into the idea. I think man is gonna come up with another, um, another round of this that would articulate something without that broad brush there. Um, I, I think that's why we got bogged into it. I think that's there. Um, when you say, when there's other people from the public that are commenting saying that there is bias-based policing that's going on and we need to do something about it, I'm saying this is this policy is saying it's it's prohibited and how do we go about that? Also, there is in response to another member of the comment, there is already some of the um, reporting in shall um, be done if it reasonably appears that a number of self. This is under the review. An annual basis, the commanding officer support services shall conduct an administrative review. We are, as a, as a CPRB, are getting access to some of that information um, as far as like the demographics of where they are arresting, where they're having physical force. Um, it also says that uh, determination shall be made as to whether or not there's disproportionality. Is it department-wide or just with specific units? All of that has to be reported. There's penalties if it's not being reported. Um, an officer shall provide written notice to the chief for any reasons or ground for a disproportionate rate of contacts if they're, if that's not there. So I just, I, I'm in agreement with some of these things on an annual basis to change it to shall. I think that's fine. I don't think that's what we were, we were bogged down about. I just want to back it up and say it, it, you are eliminating a lot of, of the officer's capacity to act with the language as it's currently drafted unless it is somebody asking to him to ask or acting, asking for it to, um, to be an imminent threat to the public safety. And I think it's a big deal. Um, Ms. Hellman commented that there's, she draws a distinction between actively using marijuana and breaking in and, and, and entering. Uh, there's, there's not in, in the languages that currently exist, uh, there's no distinction there for an officer to act or not act. Um, 
there's there's not public safety, imminent risk to public safety by somebody walking off with some public property there. And so an officer would not be able to act in, as it's currently proposed as a policy right now. Um, I think I think there are some ideas that people have about about where we're heading and where we want to be. I don't want to try and say that this isn't a defeatist type of thing and we can't do it. The idea is that we go back, we we be careful with what we're asking so that we can get to a, a very productive and reasonable solution to these things. Um, I also think that I want to remind people where we are limited just so that we're not when we have some members that are asking, well, is this something that we sent to the board? Is this something that where there's legislators? Our role is just to make these recommendations. I think we can make these recommendations. We should be making these recommendations. I like that we're here to do that. I'd like that I was part of that for a long time, but that's, that's what it is. I was trying to explain that that is, the, that is our role is to make recommendations and we're doing that, we're working that out. It does not mean that we get to go and, and draft the legislation or that we can be doing that. So I just was trying to draw that line. That's, that's my, my best that I can to respond to some of those comments um, straight out. It, Amanda, go ahead. My concern about um, trying to get more specific is that we're not going to catch things like what um, Stephanie Hoffelt described. Um, you know, how, what do you, do you have any ideas for, for other wording that would prevent an officer from stopping and asking people multiple times if everything's okay after driving by multiple times when there's nothing happening to indicate that there's any reason for that to be necessary. That kind of a scenario that was just described by one of our community members. How well, other wording, like, I, I'm curious if you have any ideas. Well, I would say number one, I think we're all, as you know, Mr. Thomas said, we're all trying to do our own, our best right now. So if I were to see that, if I was Stephanie um, Heffel right now and, um, and I think I would call and I would file a complaint. And I think that um, within our policy right now that says we're, it's anti-bias policing, that that would be something that that officer would have to explain himself for and that we would be able to investigate for and we'd, we'd all proactively do that. Um, so I think, number one, we have some type of check on that. There's no reason why that officer, if, if that was the circumstances, wouldn't have to account for that. Chief, I could pass it over to you. Am I right? If, if there was a complaint there, not only would we be looking into it, but the department under this policy would be looking into it, correct? Yes. Yep. It would, just like you said, someone would file a complaint and, and then we would investigate it. And that's how it works. Number two, as a civil rights lawyer for a long time, I would take those cases to court. And I would, I would sue the police officer and I would try and sue the police department if I needed to. And I would also sue him under the policy. I did that. And you can win those cases and that's a deterrent in and of itself as well. Um, you know, and this again, is these are prohibited acts. What Ms. Hellman has described was a prohibited act. And there's, I'm not gonna say that we're gonna ever draft legislation or a policy that is gonna cover everything that's gonna happen. But what I can say mm -hmm. is that the policy is already saying that is not supposed to happen and should not be tolerated. But this policy we've got it proposed also says officers are not supposed to act 
if they're seeing crimes that we know are crimes, unless it is an imminent threat to public safety and unless we are telling them, go ahead and act. And I think that goes too far. So if there's other language that can come out from it, um, I think we could say again, and I've said this before, with an ear towards or with a focus towards public safety and um, exercise of discretion away from um, these with an idea that there is, as you, and I like your language, and I told you this too, I like it down at the bottom, that there is um, uh, no justification for implicit bias and that implicit bias is in there and we need to be careful of those things. That is how we do it. We strengthen this policy and we all um, take it upon ourselves and the CPRB to, to act when we see it and we speak up when we see it. And you know, David, and, and backing up a little bit, you know, I think basically, I think in the past, we've kind of left a major player out of the equation, and that's the public. You know, we're talking about putting uh, our information on the back of policemen's business cards. That's so that the public can be aware of a resource if they have concerns. And I think also we should be encouraging the public to get involved more, like that situation where you're out in the yard all the time and the policeman passes by and it's no big deal. You know, but then all of a sudden you've got a couple of black people in your yard or minorities in the yard, and all of a sudden this person wants to know if everything's okay. That officer has a, a number on the squad car. And I think basically this is the kind of information that needs to be gotten back to the chief because, you know, the chief cannot, you know, correct the situation unless he knows that it exists. We, we are collecting data already, and that's also a penalty if they don't report the data accurately in here. But we are already correct, collecting a lot of this data, and we are bringing it in so we can all participate in our oversight besides the auditors that are taking place as well. Again, I think I I think we're we're not. I, I I didn't like how it was like. Well, David's point versus Amanda's point on this. I don't feel like we're too far off, and I would suggest even that the police isn't that far off on a lot of this. I just think that we need to be careful about where we are drawing that line and where we are trying to redraw this line right now. And our language, as we as you have it drafted in that paragraph right now shifts that pendulum to a point where I don't think it, it's it's going to be safe um, for the officers for legal reasons. I don't think it's safe for the public, um, you know, for for lots of, of safety reasons. I just want to I want to go back with a with a finer tooth pencil here and really try and dig into that. Um, so that that's where I, I, I have it right now. Amanda, I'll leave it again to you um, if you want to put any more closing arguments, but we need to start wrapping this up and move along. Um, no, I don't have anything else right now. Thank you. Okay. So what I, what I think, and I don't know if we asked for public opinion, we talked about um, maybe coming back at this as, as a group. Do we want to break into a subcommittee? Somebody to work with Amanda a little bit more on this. I think it was Amanda and Leticia that we're going to work together, but now Leticia is not here and Leticia is um, not going to be here going forward because her terms is uh, she's resigned. So um, Amanda, do you want do you want some help trying to get some of this uh, language curtailed a little bit or I don't even want to say curtail but just um, kind of take some of the things that we discussed and 
and and come back or do we want to vote right now on on parts that we kind of agree on um you know i think we're we're in agreement with a lot of it on here i just think um the only part that i'm i'm having problems with is um is that that initial paragraph that just kind of sweeps away with uh with some of the the capacity for the officers to to enforce a lot of the laws that we know are on the books for a reason. And I don't think it's it's uh, for on us to say we shouldn't have any of those laws enforced under those circumstances. If that's something to do, if we're able to vote on parts of it now and then bring the other parts back, then that's fine. Orwell, what do you think? Is there, are there, are there things in here that, that, I mean, I'm okay with adding a statement. I think we'd have to define that out a little bit more. Um, where you've got on page two, adding a statement. Um, uh, David, my feel on it is that, you know, I, I think, you know, what uh, Amanda's presented has has some good points, but, you know, you have some good points. I, you know, I would be willing to, to, to work with you on this, Amanda. And, and what I would suggest, David, is if you could shoot us, you know, your concerns that need to be addressed, and then we could take it and see if we could work around that and combine something that would be more acceptable. Would you be comfortable with that, Amanda? Or do you just wanna go ahead and get it out of the way? Um, well, I know that I'm gonna to have to bring the policy part of it back. I think that's already pretty much been, been determined. Um, but I think David was asking if we wanted to vote on the, the other parts of it, not that statement like changing okay. those vows to wills and um, the implicit bias statements and the training things. Is that, am I understanding that right, David? Is that what you were suggesting? Yeah, I think um, I'm looking at what we can and cannot do and pass not here today either. So <clears throat> I think um, the idea is that it would be a motion to forward the recommendation letter to police chief Liston. So we're not gonna be able to we're not going to be able to have a motion that would encompass everything. But I think if I could, what I'd like to do is leave it with, you know, I'm 100% on board with changing the review to shells. Um, I'm on board with uh, training and maybe, uh, I, you know, I was really liking the idea of having some training on neurodivergence and some of the other suggestions there. Um, I like your paragraph D um on under training as well uh I, you know i think these are all really good things um i i again would like to go back for the pol the policy side um and i would like to go back for some of the procedures where it says and our crimes you present public safety risks um and just kind of kind of revisit that but <clears throat> if we can if we can so it puts me in a weird spot because I'm not here. You know, as we all know, this is the end of my term. So, I, you know, at some point I'm kind of speaking like we should do this, we should do that perhaps, but ultimately I'm not, my voice is not relevant after tonight. So. Okay, well, well with that being said, why don't we go ahead on and just vote on what we can get done and then, you know, handle the rest later. Orville um, and David, it might be easier just to have 
a complete second draft and then review that's, that? That's what I'm saying. I, I'm looking at what our motion would have to be is that we have to forward a whole recommendation letter. So we can't just, we can't submit it as it is. So we have to have a second draft at some point unless we have it, a, a complete agreement on it. But that's where I'm in a tough spot because I'm not, you're going to have two new members next next month. And uh, and so how, for all you want to do, you might just resubmit this again next month in whatever form you want, Amanda, and, and you know, you won't have me on the board, so. But you will leave your concerns with us so that we can, you know. I think I always say as concisely as I could. And, uh, you know, I, I've tried to try to make some directions and ultimately, you know, it's, it's a group decision and and you know there's there's good points and these are again i want to emphasize like i said at the beginning i think you've got some really good ideas here and this is a good spot for us to make a make a statement on where we want our focus to be as a police department and as a community and it puts some of those um those policies in writing i just again my concern is that if you read the policy it switches the pendulum so that there's lots of crimes that i think should be enforced um, and our police officers should have that bright line, a bright line to, in which they should act and not act. And if we leave the policy recommendations intact as we have it under policy, under procedures, that there's a lot that um, they won't be able to act on and there's not that bright line. And so those are my two that I would leave for takeaways. And, um, you know, I'll wish you guys the best in sorting that out next time as part of your policies. <clears throat> All right, um, we've got a couple more things to get to tonight, so I'll have to move things along. Um, item number four, old business. Um, I need a member to volunteer to draft a community form summary letter. If I ask Orville or Jerry to take that on. Um, there is a form that Chris uh, has been, we've been using that she can send over to you for by way of an example. It's basically just kind of summarize what happened. Um, all the way through, Orville, you did a great job with it last time. Yeah, so I'll, you will. I'll take it. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Orville. Appreciate it. So, name of volunteers, Orville. Um, proposed ordinance change. This one is for me. Um, <clears throat> just kind of remind everybody. I I don't know if you got a chance to see what I've drafted already to the chief. I sent that over to Pat our legal counsel for his review and he came back and said that we actually need to change some of the uh, i guess i'll back up this is my my request for an ordinance change that would allow the police review board to review the body worn cameras and the in dash cameras that um, might be subject for deletion before the deletion and to get our consent it would also allow the police review board, I would like to have the, the power for the police review board to review all body-worn camera um, violations that involve um, turning off turning off the um, <clears throat> body-worn camera at, at a time when it should have been already activated or in, in car camera at a time when it should have been activated. It also includes us having um, some information regarding the discipline to officers if that um, incident occurred, if that kind of violation occurred. So there's a couple things 
that are tied in there. One is, of course, we don't have access to discipline right now as currently written. And two, we um, have all of our powers under the ordinance and only under the ordinance. And so because the ordinance doesn't tell us we have any powers to review those type of um, video footages, that's why I'm, I'm drafting the, the, the ordinance change. Uh, proposal. The issue that I am coming upon with Pat in my proposal is that we have to very specifically and concisely lay out what needs to change, like the actual ordinance language. So like everything else with legislation and policy, and Amanda, I'm suffering from some of the things that you're hearing from me right now. It doesn't come easy, even though you know you want it, um, and you know that it's everybody can be there. So Pat and I are kind of exchanging emails back and forth over how to draft the language. Um, it looks like I missed um, part of the ordinance change needing to also include that the chief would have certain new um, roles. Um, specifically, you would have to forward to us, almost like I wrote the complaint, the video footage, the, you know, the violation that occurred and how it was documented. So before we can impose upon the chief, we need that in the ordinance change too. I'm probably not doing as much justice as I, as Pat would if he were here. Pat is sick. He just gave us notice today that he couldn't be here. So I'm not going to um, belabor this. It's unfortunate because again, I'm not gonna be here, but I think that this can, um, I think we're in a position that Pat will be able to draft all the changes that I've got in there and come back to you guys with something um, so that we can just forward it along to, to the city council and vote on it more concisely. And so, um, Pat, uh, it, I think the next time Pat's available, the board will, or we can actually do it right now, authorize Pat to go ahead and draft the, the language to the ordinance specifically that would encapsulate the, the change that we've been talking about. So, um, don't know if that requires a vote or not, but I'm going to take one anyway, just to be safe. So I'm going to motion um, that the uh, legal counsel draft the um, language for the ordinance change, as we've discussed, for us to review. Can I get a second? Second. Second by Amanda Nichols. Second. Um, all those in favor, say aye. 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 All those opposed? Okay, the eyes have it. So we'll direct Pat to go ahead and draft up the ordinance change um, based on his discussions that he and I have had. Um, and, and hopefully we'll have something concise that we can just forward to a uh, letter to city council on next time. <clears throat> All right, um, discussion of CPRB recommendations to city council, item number eight. We asked um, if you remember, um, City Council came back and said, do you, do you really need your own independent auditor and what would that look like? And then we all um, re-examined the Kalea accreditation process. Um, uh, the chief asked us to go ahead and familiarize ourselves with that. I think um, Leticia wanted some more time to do that. She's not here today. Um, does, has everybody familiarize themselves with Kalea um, here again? Yes. Orville, did you get a chance to look at that? Are we are we satisfied with that um, independent auditing process to replace our request for the CPRB to have their own independent auditor? Manny, you're shaking your head. Yes, Jerry, yes. Orville, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I I guess this 
this does a good job, but you know, I think we should leave a little leeway that like if there are circumstances where something happens and we have concern, then we should be able to, you know, request one. So maybe changing it from annual to on request. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, this is an audit that's already in place and it covers a lot, but you know, I guess sometimes there are just circumstances that occur that don't fit into this, that we have specific concerns that we should be able to, you know, request an audit specifically addressing those concerns. Okay, I like that. I think that's smart. I'm gonna task you, Orville, with getting with Pat or another um, council member and coming up with a, a redefined request basically for that item. Um, okay. That and, uh, and then hopefully you'll have something to present next time so we can respond to that um, request from the city shortly, okay? <clears throat> that's not fair, Orville? Yeah. Great. Yeah, I'll take care of it. All right. Um, item number nine, the CPRB shall be provided city funding to promote awareness. Orville, did you get a chance to look into the cost of officer business cards? Yes, I did. And uh, we have that here. Uh, the, the cost for the conversion to business cards that would have, uh, you know, our information on the back, uh, the cost would be uh let's see $3, $3, $3, $3,314.15. And that would just be a one-time thing to you know get the conversion and get things in place just that first time. And then and then the city, you know, uh the, the police department would take it over. Okay, so basically that's like your setup costs to replace all the business cards of all the officers out there right now. So if they have that on there or like some sticker that basically would go over it or what it, What does that entail? Well, now that's printing. They talked about stickers and myself, I would prefer that we go we go with the printing. I'm I'm not comfortable with stickers, but this, this is for a conversion for printing costs. Okay, so we basically take all the business cards and reprint them. And yeah, we, you know, we, I think we have like 85 officers uh, that we, we wish we had dealing with. And this is just the one time thing, too. Yeah, I mean, we have 85, 85 slots. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, no, but, but uh, this is just. Right. This just to get the the ones we currently have reprinted, and then the new officers we print them anyhow. So that shouldn't be a cost on you. It doesn't cost us any more to print that stuff on the back for the new officers. So we'll pick it up from there. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Um, what about other the other parts of the promote awareness? I think Amanda and you you and Leticia were spearheading this as a subcommittee for um, stream meetings on Facebook, website enhancements. Uh, that kind of thing. Do we have some kind of budget proposal for them yet? Um, I was a little confused on that part with the announcement that um, all public meetings are now being recorded. Um, but then it said, I think it said available after 48 hours, right? So they're not 
going to be live streamed, but they're being recorded. And then what's happening? They're just a link placed on the website or? I can help with that a little bit. Um, this is Kelly from the city clerk's office. So what, what they're doing, since the majority of uh, board and commissions are on Zoom, they're of course just taking that Zoom recording and our communications department um, is, is putting them on the website. Um, I think it's on City Channel 4 and YouTube. I think somehow they, they marry each other. Um, but we'll put links on each of the commission websites so that the public can find those more easily. Um, and then... I don't know if at some point they're gonna look at, at live streaming at right now. Um, the hard part is as we transition back to in-person meetings, getting things set up in enough spots that we can record and have audio and video to keep taking those meetings and putting them online and having them available. Um, so I, I think that's our, our first priority is, is making sure we have the ability to do that and, and then possibly look at the live streaming down the road. Okay. Would you be the person for me to contact to try to stay up to date on that information? Sure. Sure. Okay. Thank you. And I'm sorry, Kelly? Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, as far as the live streaming part, um, there may be a limitation on how many, I suppose, that I'm not aware of because I don't do that many, but I know that just a regular paid Zoom account, there's no cost to live stream your Zoom meeting. Um, right, but it, it would be- Once we move to- Right, exactly, back to in-person. Chief, correct me if I'm wrong, but is there information now given to um, people that are arrested regarding their right to file a complaint with the CPRB? Would the city channel number four be able to broadcast things like that? They have a library even where they keep all the previous um, films that they've done. But if they could make regular broadcasts about of uh, City, you know, publicity about the city review board and um, how people can file a complaint if they need to or if they have suggestions. David, I'm going to check on that for you. I don't know exactly, to be quite honest, and I don't want to tell you something that's not factually correct. I think it'll certainly help make it a lot easier once we have those business cards printed up. Sure. Um, I think that's something else that if, if there was some kind of form you know, with all the paperwork or any citation they get that just says, you know, something on that form anyway that says you could contact, that would be, if, and if it's not there, Chief, I hate to task, but it, maybe if we could ask that you look into the costs of, you know, starting to print those materials with that additional, um, what, what you might propose would be the right material if it says, I don't think it necessarily has to be a separate flyer, but uh, maybe where it informs on your court case um, or on, you know, what happens next, how to get your stuff. If there was some other box there that would also put something on, you know, if you have a complaint, um, you may also consider contacting the CPRB. Follow any steps. Okay, I'll check on that. Whether it's, it, it'd be great if it was simple as just changing that, what we give on a citation, but if it's not, then we can always look at a separate piece, but I'll look into it. Great, great. 
Um, all right, so I think we're, I think we're making headway on that. We, I'd still like to get some idea of um, outreach and, you know, some other biannual community forums budget. Um, again, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel weird because I'm assigning things and stepping down here, but, um, and there's only four of us right now. We will have two new members um, coming on for the next meeting. <clears throat> they might be able to also help out with some of this in subcommittees or something, but we should try and get some answers back if we want some change quick. Um, does anybody have, Jerry, would you uh, be interested in, in doing some investigation as to the costs if we had a biannual community forum? Maybe talking with Kelly, maybe talking with, you know, rental costs and some things like that, um, some advertising costs, um, if you could. Um, I think we also wanted maybe some awareness events. So maybe if we could come up with some kind of budget for three type of awareness events and a generic number that we could operate within. Um, if you wanted to, to try and put together a cost for one of those awareness events, um, maybe like an ice cream social or a, um, you know, a, a, a just a general public forum somewhere else besides on Zoom and besides in our, our office that, you know, we would just basically be outside and telling people what we do, maybe the farmer's market, something along those lines. Um, if you could come up with like a small budget for those and we can kind of propose that over, that would be good. Does that sound fair, Jerry? Yeah. You're giving me a bad look. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, right. I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if you heard me before, if I was muted oh. or not, when I um, suggested maybe the city publicity department could do some. Yeah, if you could look into that too, that would be, that's, that sounds like a really creative idea. That's, that's good. Um, also, maybe some flyers and some some of the public urinals and things uh, might be another thing that we could brainstorm on. But I think what the city is looking for is some specifics here, and we should come up with some type of budget and put some numbers next to it that aren't just a number in the sky, but actually say, look, we think these are some things that we more specifically could do. This is our proposed budget for those things and how we came to it. Now, that's the kind of breakdown that I think we're looking for. So um, if we could work on that, that'd be great. Um, item number 10, um, the city shall provide complainants access to a lawyer um, and a social worker, medical professional with trauma awareness training for purposes of assisting complainants. So we're basically looking for that, um, someone with expertise that uh, a, a complainant could go to at the beginning of this process and throughout this process um, for a lot of ideas. Amanda, do you have anything to report on progress on that? I am still working on that. Um, I've had, there, there's a big issue with, um, as I mean, I guess we know, um, mental health, the resources that the mental health professionals in our area have. Um, and so I've had a couple of them that have said, you know, we'd love to help with this. We just don't have the staff, you know, it would, be something the city would be paying contracting for but they don't have the staff for it um and then there are um i'm sorry i do not have which ones are which straight off of the top of my head right now but um there are two that i'm still in conversation with that it's taking a while because they have to take the conversation to their boards um 
to let me know if it's something they think they can do and about what kind that would cost. So we're kind of our board okay. schedule, board schedule, but I am actively working on that. I just don't have anything yet. Okay, and Letitia was supposed to draft the report uh, and cost of the services for the complainant lawyer. Letitia is no longer here, um, and she's not going to be back next month, as we discussed, uh, having resigned. So um, that kind of puts things back in to your your guys' lap here. <clears throat> um, I think uh, you, outreach could be made to the public defender and. If anybody's gone to them already, um, we could probably, I, I, as, as a opinion, there might be some issues legally with where do you draw the line on having a client, you know, and having that attorney client representation versus just being someone there to help draft legality and tell you like what your rights are. Um, so we'd have to be very careful with that, but I think you could start by talking with the public defender's office and see if there's not that um, contractual relationship that they could have that just says we are here just as a, just as a service to help facilitate the process, not to provide any legal advice, but just to advise generally on the law. I think we could probably get that taken care of, and maybe they have... Um, the capacity themselves to take it on or an interest to take it on. And if they don't, maybe they can point us in, in the direction of uh, a legal aid group or somebody like that that would. So um, another person to contact would be the, the law school. You know, clearly we could contact the law school and see if they don't have some kind of uh, um, program. A lot of times there's third year law students that are in a, um, in some type of class that work focuses on evictions or focuses on you know criminal defense or um, justice project, we might be able to get something along those lines where there's a, a trained lawyer slash professor that would be in charge of oversight, you know. But then the the, the uh, students themselves would help with that. So just brainstorming here. I we need somebody besides Leticia to carry the torch. Um, at this point, does anybody? Anybody have an interest in that right now or time? I know there's a, a, only three of us here that are still able to carry this. I would think the School of Social Work and uh, Criminal Justice even might have volunteers that would be willing to do that on a volunteer basis. Yeah, would you be willing to reach out to them, Jerry, sure. and, and look into that? Excellent. Sure. So let's start there with, with that and um, Orville, would you be willing to give a call to the public defender's office and see if they wouldn't be able to start on something like that? Okay. Okay. Um, and then, Amanda, do you want to go to law school? I hate to tally things up, but that's, <laughs> I'm not, not going to be here next month to tell you what I found. <laughs> so it's going to be tough. All right. Um, um, Moving on to ICPD General Order 89-05 then, radio communications procedure, Amanda's draft recommendation letter, it basically just adds text almost literally right into it. <laughs> Am I right on that, Amanda? Yep. All right, so uh, all it is, is is allowing people to communicate that through text as well. Um, we'll it's not really changing anything, it's just updating it to reflect what's currently happening. Does anybody have any board discussion? Okay, public discussion. If anybody wants to raise their hand button or press star nine. 
Okay, not seeing any of that. I'm in a motion. Uh, we forward the recommendation letter to Chief Liston. Is there a second? Second. Second by Townsend. All those in favor say aye. 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 All those opposed? The ayes have it. We'll forward that letter over to the chief. Um, public comment of items not on the agenda. Commentators shall address the board for no more than five minutes, please. Um, this is one where the board shall not engage in discussion with the public concerning said items. Um, again, uh, members of the public, you can use your raise hand button and you'll be called on or star nine if you'd like to be called in by phone. We'll wait a couple minutes for members of the public. <clears throat> have anything? No, All right. None. Uh, board information. Anyone from the board wants to suggest any items to be added to the next meeting as new business? I'll, I'll comment and say that I am doing orientation of two new members and that will be concluded before the, the next meeting. Um, we'll be reviewing all the items in the packet, the ordinance, you know, what their roles are, etc. So I will hopefully have them up to speed and ready to join in. <clears throat> um, staff information? I don't have anything. Okay. Uh, tentative meeting schedule right now, we're scheduled for July 13th and August 10th, both by electronic Zoom meetings. Anybody have any known conflicts with that? Want to change the dates? I'll be gone the month of August for three weeks anyway, from the 3rd to the 24th. Okay. Are you wanting to move? Are you able to appear electronically on the 10th? Um, I might be. I might be. Yeah. I think okay. I did that last year. I tried to. I forgot. <laughs> or you could call in as well, Jerry. Okay. Yeah, one of the beauties of the Zoom is that you can lock in. As we all know, I've had to make some stops in some weird towns and try yeah. to get in and access. So. Well, my, my brother has an office up there that he just started, so I could probably go there. Perfect. All right. So we can keep it on. Um, item number nine, adjournment. Um, before we sign off, I just want to say thanks, everybody. It's been a pleasure serving with you. I uh, appreciate everybody's input. I like uh, I like all of your ideas and where we're going, and it's a community. So thanks for all your time and your efforts, and I wish you all the very best in your good works here. I uh, will sleep better at night knowing you guys are all on call. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Moved to adjourn by Mr. Selmer, myself. Can I get a second? Second. Second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Meeting's been adjourned. Time of adjournment, 713. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for everything, David. Appreciate your leadership. Thanks for all your work, David.